all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm not in the studio this morning, so we won't be taking your phone calls, but you can always email the show fit at mpbonline.org. With me today is Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell. Good morning, Josie, and always appreciate the, you coming in sort of extra time, overtime, when you're not able to make uh, shows in the studio. So enjoy working with you on these uh, shows. And I think this is always a good time to maybe go back and revisit some of the main themes that we have on the show. And so we've got a moving show mm-hmm. for you today as we talk about exercise. All right, so a bad pun to start off the segment, but... Uh, Really, when you think about it, exercise is really kind of just getting up and getting active. So what are some simple ways that people can add movement during the day? Well, you hit the nail on the head right there because we actually kind of try to use the term physical activity um, more so than exercise. Because when when you say the word exercise to someone, it immediately kind of conjures up this mental image of being in a gym or lifting weights or doing something that is just generally not pleasurable. Uh, Whereas what we really want people to do is just move. You know, we know that being sedentary or just sitting for the majority of your day or for long periods of time is a risk factor for heart disease. So it doesn't have to be quite so rigid as I have to exercise between these hours and these hours. We just got to get up and and get moving. And that's going to look different for for everyone, you know, there are folks who really enjoy running. Um, I, I do run on occasion. My children enjoy it. It's not my preferred method of physical activity. Um, if you've listened to the show before, you know, I like to do Zumba. So I like to dance as my primary form of, of cardio activity. Um, Kevin, you like to play tennis and I am quite terrible at the tennis. So um, I have tried and it is not, it's not my sport. So it, you know, it's not going to be a one size fits all thing. I get asked a lot, what is the best type of cardio or what is the best type of this type of exercise? And it's the one that you will do, right? And that you'll do consistently and not dread doing. Yeah, a couple things. Um, I remember one time you mentioned on the show that you, when you're helping your kids with their homework, sometimes there's an impromptu dance party. Yes. So one of the benefits I think that people might not think about is if you're struggling with something, if you're bored, if you have mental writer's block, whatever, getting up and moving around 
helps that mental faculties as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We want to kind of increase blood flow to our brain. So when we've been focused on a task for a long time, sometimes we need to just kind of shake it up a little bit. And so getting up and moving around, taking some nice deep breaths um, is a great way to kind of get a little bit of burst of energy. And we talk about... um, abdominal deep breathing on the show a lot of times, and that's a relaxing type of breath. So I'm actually talking about a different kind of breathing, right? The kind of breathing you do when you are being physically active, which is where you use those chest muscles to make your rib cage get bigger. So a great way to do that is to just get up and move around for a few minutes. You know, we do it um, oftentimes between uh, study uh, like between subjects when we're doing homework. So if we finish biology before we get into math, because that's everybody's least favorite in my household, you know, we kind of wiggle it out and, you know, get get all the, the stress out from that. Um, when we're watching TV, you know, the, the now that everything is you know, DVRs and streaming and all these kinds of things, you can fast forward through commercial breaks and and those types of things. Um, But I encourage you to let them play and get up and do something else, right? So get up and walk around your house or walk up and down the stairs or do some, you know, high steps, uh, you know, walking in place, something, but use those two to three minutes that the commercial breaks are on. Because in the span of, you know, an hour show, you've probably taken four or five commercial breaks in there. If it's two to three minutes each time, that adds up and I'll get you a good chunk of movement minutes there. You know, you and I are both NFL fans, and I know that when I'm watching a game or listening to it, I get very nervous about, you know, how the team is doing and that sort of thing. And and so what I've done on, on what, the commercial, it's sort of a, it helps out because I'll grab the broom and start sweeping the kitchen because <laughs> I figured, you know, it helps me kind of relax uh-huh. or whatever. So, again, getting the, the exercise in there, but also in my case, also doing something that I probably don't do enough of, and that's housekeeping. But that brings up another point. You can burn a lot of calories oh, cleaning house. Absolutely. Um, you know, I had to take down all my Halloween decorations, uh, and that was a, a workout because we go all out with the decorations at my house. And so I actually cut on my um, fitness tracker while I was doing it just to see how many calories I would burn, how many steps I would get. And it was it was significant. So all of those things do add up. Um, and so if you're trying to get more active, you have to start with what is my current activity level. So if you're already very active in your house, then maybe looking for additional housework is not the way we want to get more movement for you. Maybe we want to get you outside of the house and doing some things. But those things definitely do count and add up and are much better than just sitting. And um, one thing, again, that we kind of talk about frequently on the show is the idea of of ramping up. I I know when we talk about fiber, you say, well, don't go hog wild because you ain't going to like it. (laughs) Mm -mm. But with exercise, sort of to avoid maybe some of the negative things that might come along with it, slowly ramp up. Absolutely. Um, As humans, we get very excited about things, um, especially if we've made a decision to maybe get healthier or to start to lose some weight or whatever it is. And we tend to be all in with something when we first start, you know, whether it be buying food at the grocery store and we buy all the healthy things and then we eat none of the healthy things. The same can happen with um, with exercise or with physical activity. And we'll kind of plan to lift heavy or go really far or do a lot of minutes or exercise every day. And while those can be great goals and they can be even be achievable for some people, the vast majority of people need to 
to ease into it a little bit more because uh, a couple of things can happen. One, it becomes a stressor in your life trying to fit it in every single day or for this amount of time every single day. And we do not need more stress in our lives. Or the other is that you do too much too quick and you injure yourself. Um, and then your healthcare provider is going to make you uh, rest or we're going to tell you to rest. And then you lose that motivation because it's much harder to get back into it after you've been out of doing something um, for a while. So, uh, you know, just today uh, I was in clinic today and we were working with someone and we were writing an exercise plan. And I said, OK, tell me, you know, how many minutes do you think you'll be able to, to do this um, and how frequently? And they said 60 minutes a day, every day. And I said, um, I don't think so. You know, and the way I approached it was that's a great goal. Realistically, like zero to 10, tell me how confident are you you're going to be able to do that every single day for that amount of time. And if it's less than a seven, you're probably not going to. And so you have to stop and think, how is if I don't achieve this goal that I've set for myself, what's that going to do to my overall uh, motivation? Is that going to like just put it in the toilet and I'm going to give up altogether because if it is then we don't want to we don't want to start out with that goal right if you realize that you may not reach that and you're okay with it I may let you go ahead with it but ultimately we settled on a much more realistic um, five days per week and we started with 30 minutes and so we'll see how that how that goes along so what would you say if someone came to you and said, gosh, I really do want to try to get to be more active. I just can't seem to find the motivation. Mm-hmm. Well, it always, always goes back to why, right? Why do we want to change, right? Um, you know, what made you come see me in the office today? Um, and a lot of times people will come and say, well, I want to lose weight. Okay. Um, and that can be a great uh, goal. I would challenge you to find something else as your motivator because weight fluctuates for a variety of reasons, right? Um, By your hydration status, by the clothes you have on, by the time of the day you get on the scale, all of those different kinds of things. And so when we use that as our only marker of motivation and we don't see the number that we want as quickly as we want to, because that happens a lot too, we'll exercise strong for one week. And if we don't drop 10 pounds, we, you know, we kind of start to feel bad and we're like, what? the heck have I been doing for this whole week, you know? Um, So really setting yourself up for what your ultimate why is, you know, why do you want to lose weight? What about your life would be different? And I often ask people, so if you were to lose this weight, right, how would any, like, what would be different about the way you feel or about the way you interact um, and go about your daily life? And oftentimes that leads us to, a, well, I would have more energy to play with my kids or my knees wouldn't hurt so bad. Or, you know, I think I might sleep better at night, you know, because I feel so tired all the time. So those are the things that we hang on to as our motivation. It's not what number we get on the scale. It's how we feel in our quality of life. And I think that that if you have a set like I want to lose X amount of pounds, that's a goal that you get to when you finish. Where these other things that you're talking about, that can be continuing motivation. And I would think the thing is. When you get people up and active, you don't want them to just stop when they get to yeah. X. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you will you will backslide back down, you know. And as we age, our metabolism is going to alter and do different things. So whereas when we were younger, we may have been able to be not 
as physically active and not gain a bunch of weight or have everything hurt. When we get older and those kind of processes start to slow down a little bit, being at the same activity level that we've always been, we'll still start to creep up and gain some weight and then our joints start to hurt. And then then we don't want to exercise because we don't feel good. Got a, about a minute or so left, and we have talked about that exercise can help burn calories and help with weight control. What are some other benefits to exercise? Oh, gosh, so many. I mean, one, it improves um, blood sugar control. It helps you kind of move that sugar you know, into the muscle cells for use. Um, from a mental health perspective, it's really great at lowering um, anxiety and working on just overall feelings of contentment and well-being. Um, it can help with sleep as well, and we all know that I love sleep. Um, not just as a personal lover of sleep, but as its role in uh, in health and wellness. So there's so many different areas of your life that it can impact, not just the number that we have seen that we see sitting on a scale. So I think the takeaway from this first part of the show is just get up and get moving. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm nurse practitioner Josie Bidwell, also an associate professor of preventive medicine at UMMC. Since I'm not in the studio this morning, Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell is with me for this pre-recorded show. Thanks, Josie. We're talking about uh, exercise today. And um, I've heard that moderate exercise is good. So what do we mean by when we use the term moderate exercise? Yeah, and that's such a really vague word, and a lot of people get confused about it. In general, we divide activity into things that are light intensity, moderate intensity, and vigorous intensity. And if you were to Google those things, you would see examples of each one. My problem with that is that Uh, not everyone starts at the same fitness level, right? And so what might be um, moderate for one person could very well be vigorous for someone else or what is light for one person might be moderate um, for someone else. In general, you can think about like a a stroll, like maybe you're – walking your dog in while you have on your slippers like you're not you're not exercising while you're walking the dog as a light intensity type of situation whereas a more brisk walk would fall in that moderate category and then you know a jog to a run um, in the vigorous but you know if you've never uh, run before and you start to do a light jog like you're going to feel very vigorous very soon. So there are lots of different techniques that you can use to kind of grade activity in terms of where they fall on that. Um, probably one of the the older and more kind of research-based uh, methods is something called METS or metabolic equivalents. Uh, and that has like each activity has a certain number of, of metabolic equivalents assigned to it, like how many calories it would burn during a, a certain amount of this activity. When you're working with individuals on building an exercise plan or if you're just trying to get more active yourself, it's a little labor intensive to to think about um, trying to count metabolic equivalents and those types of things. Um, When you're working 
working with a trainer or with a physical therapist, they may do something with you called the rate of perceived exertion or RPEs. Um, And that's more of a zero to 10 scale. So they may have you do an activity and then ask you you on on that scale zero to 10, like how intense does this feel for you? Um, And that can help you grade it. And depending on what your goals are, they may want you to be kind of in the six to seven range for moderate intensity type of things. Um, the the technique I like to use when I'm you know, working with groups of people or just kind of giving general advice for folks is to use something called the talk test. Um, and that is, you know, start doing your activity. And if you can talk without any change in your voice, you'd even be able to sing if you had so chose to and didn't sound like me when I sing. Um, That is light intensity. Um, If you um, kind of start to increase your breathing a little bit, you can still talk fine, but you wouldn't really be able to sing. That's kind of that moderate spot. And then vigorous intensity is where you sure can't sing. And your talking may even be interrupted a little bit by kind of having to pause after a couple of words to get a little bit more breath in and do those types of things. And that's just an easy way to apply it to any type of activity that you're doing, whether it be walking or biking or dancing. Um, And, you know, it meets you kind of kind of where you are. So, you know, we talked a little bit before about ramping up. And so depending on your fitness level, you might need to start at the light or the mild exercise and not think about moderate yet until you exactly, get a little bit more used to it. Exactly. Um, you know, Southern Remedy, I, the way I started with Southern Remedy back in um, 2012 was actually helping to write the fitness prescription portion of Southern Remedy Healthy Living, um, which is a you know a great program that's completely free that has nutrition for adults and kids on it. And then the fitness prescription part is an adult and a child um, fitness program. And the cardio part of that is a, is built as a walking program, but it can also be um, dancing or swimming or whatever you want to do. But it does just that. It starts at short duration, light intensity um, for a certain number of days per week. And then it increases the time. And then as you get comfortable with that, it increases the intensity. And throughout the eight weeks of that program, it gets you from not being active at all to that 150 minutes of modern intensity. Um, but it can take some people longer to get there. There's no magic number to, to eight weeks. Um, you know, if you're supposed to ramp up the next week and you're like, you know, I just don't feel like I'm able to ramp up this week, then just stay where you are. Don't just not do anything. Um, stay where you are for a week or two and then and then increase up. We talk a lot about getting into good habits, both in eating and, and with this exercise as well. So, again, there are days, too, where you don't feel like getting out and doing your normal whatever your activity that you choose is. But, again, you're kind of saying maybe push your, don't don't fall in the habit of, of taking too many days off because that mm-hmm. might be the habit that you develop. Oh, it'll absolutely be the habit that you develop. Um, you know, and so – if you're if you've set a plan for yourself, you're supposed to go to the gym today and you're supposed to do 30 minutes on the elliptical and then you're going to lift weights for 30 minutes and you just don't feel like it. OK, I, like listen to what your body's saying. But that 
there's not it's not black and white like it's not you have to go to the gym and do these things or you have to go home and sit on the couch right there's a whole other spectrum of things that you can do right maybe it's just a 10 minute walk around your neighborhood when you get home um, just to appreciate the changing of the leaves you know or the birds that you hear or whatever it is Um, there's lots of different things that you have to do that you can do um, to still improve your health without just either going to the gym or sitting and from my personal experience i know both from again sort of healthy eating and then with the exercise piece that when you don't feel like it but you go ahead and do it the the, it makes yeah. you feel better that you get some um, confidence, it, you know. So I would, why well, I would encourage folks to push through. One of the things that I do, I walk at a park in Pearl where I live that I drive right by on my way home every afternoon. And so again, you know, you get in the car after work, eh, I don't think so. But something about when you hit that park, you're like, eh, okay, let me tune mm-hmm. in. Because in my case, I do it in small dribs and drabs, which brings up another question. We talked about the 150 minutes a week. But we're not buying this excuse of I don't have the time for that because it doesn't have to be all in one day. It can be stretched out across the week. Exactly. And it very frequently gets broken down when people are talking about it into 30 minutes a day, five days of the week. But it absolutely does not have to be that. Right. Um, It could be, you know, 60 minutes two days of the week and 30 minutes another day of the week. Um, it can be broken into smaller segments. So maybe you do want to stick with 30 minutes, five days of the week. Break that down if you don't have 30 minutes all at one whop, right? Um, you know, some days I sit and I look at my calendar and my schedule for the day and I'm like, oh my goodness, right? Like, how am I going to fit this in. Um, And I don't have a 30 minute block of time to do anything, but I will have five to 10 minutes, you know, in between meetings or something like that. And so I I take, you know, take, uh, capture that and try and do something in that. Maybe it's just going up and down the stairs. Maybe it's walking over to get a coffee because we all know I love my coffee as well. Um, But we used to think that you had to be active for a certain number of minutes before it really counted. But really, all of those individual minutes add up. So even if you've got five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon, that is better than none. And when you multiply that out by the days, it really does add up. You know, I mean, if you're active for five minutes this morning and five minutes in the afternoon, that's 10 minutes a day. You do that every day, that's 70 minutes a week, which is sure better than no minutes a week. So you mentioned that I like to play tennis, which I do, uh, one of my favorite types of exercise, but also do enjoy uh, walking in the park. And I found out that uh, Sunday morning is a great time for me. I like to walk actually around the neighborhood a little bit of a longer uh, track, but it's, you know, outside in the sunshine, that sort of thing. So so you can mix it up. It doesn't have to be 150 minutes of exercise A and only exercise A. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and actually you probably benefit more from switching it up a little bit, Um, you know, when – I have not been teaching Zumba as much um, after you know pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, just with gym closures and those types of things. But when I taught regularly, um, one of my favorite things to do would be to go take somebody else's class or to go to do some other type of activity other than that, because I knew what was coming with when I taught my Zumba class. I knew all the routines. I knew what moves were coming, and and so you kind of fall into a little bit of. 
uh, monotony of it a little bit. So having some variety in there, you know, engaging different muscles than you would engage with, you know, whatever activity you were doing is good for just kind of a well-rounded, balanced uh, exercise plan. Let's talk a little bit about strenuous exercise. And for most people, and again, again, this depends on your fitness level, but as something that maybe strenuous exercise is not necessarily avoided, but not overdoing. Yeah. And, you know, again, we don't want to hurt. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't want you to injure yourself. And, you know, I hear people say, you know, if it hurts, stops. And I really want you to ask yourself, like, does it actually hurt or am I just not having fun doing it? Um, when I'm uh, working with my kids on maybe training for a 5K or something, we'll be running and, and my son will say, I need to stop. And I'll say, you need to stop or you want to stop, right? Because those are two different things, right? And, you know, I need to stop is something hurts. I'm having trouble breathing. I feel like I'm going to throw up, you know, those types of things. Absolutely, we want to stop. Um, I want to stop is this is just not fun right this second, you know. Um, And so those are some things that we have to think about when we're being active as well. If something hurts you, stop. Stop doing that, right? Don't just kind of try to push through the pain, especially if you've not discussed this particular activity with your healthcare provider. If it's maybe lifting weights or doing some kind of resistance training, um, we may be doing it wrong, right? And so we don't want you to just keep doing it wrong and injure yourself that way. So it's important to kind of listen to your body and, and respect what it's telling you. All right, so we're right out about a time for this segment as well, and I guess we'll try to give a takeaway for each one. We talked in the first segment about, you know, just kind of get up and move. This one is maybe no excuses. You can work it in through your schedule. How does that one sound? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It just don't, you know, it doesn't have to be so perfect, and it doesn't have to be what anybody else's exercise looks like. It's just about how you can do it for yourself. So this is a pre-recorded show with no phone calls, but you can always email the show fit at mpbonline.org. With me today is Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell. Good morning, Josie. We're talking today about ways to become and stay more active and other aspects of exercise. Uh, Wanted to bring up one last thing. We were talking about uh, moderate exercise and sort of finding time in your day to do your exercise. Uh, But um, and especially for folks that might be beginning or maybe beginning a new type of exercise, soreness. Mm -hmm. Is soreness an expected thing after we exercise? I mean, it it can be. I don't think that you necessarily uh, have to be sore to mean that you worked out. Um, It's kind of the same deal as sweat, right? Sometimes people say, well, they didn't even break a sweat, right? Or I don't want to go exercise because I don't want to sweat. And movement doesn't necessarily have to equate with just dripping sweat and being sore and miserable afterwards. You know, if it is something that is outside of your kind of normal realm of range of movement, then you may have some soreness in those areas. Um, You know, the first time I did yoga, I twisted myself into all kinds of positions that I'm quite sure I've never been in before. And so I did have some soreness the next day. Um, You know, listen to your body with with that. Um, That's why when we do resistance training, which is one of the types of training that you may kind of associate more with with soreness, which is the the use of your muscles. So we've been kind of talking about um, cardio activity or aerobic activity, but there are two other pieces to it. There's the the resistance piece and the um, flexibility 
accountability piece. And they're all important. You know, people often say, well, what do you think is the most important? Well, I cannot pick. Um, they're all, you know, have such good health benefits to them. And in particular with the resistance, we're starting to see how important that is as we age and keeping muscle mass, preventing falls, improving balance, and even um, some really cool um, new research that's coming out that's looking at cognitive function and how it is improved the kind of stronger our legs are. So um, the, the field keeps keeps growing. But if we're doing resistance training, whether that be lifting weights or whether that be body weight um, uh, activity, we need to give ourselves rest periods in between those types of training activities. So if you're going to go to the gym today and do lower body activity and you've written your exercise plan that you're going to go to the gym tomorrow too, then don't do lower body tomorrow too. I switch it up and do upper body. So um, if you're going to go every day or days consecutively in a row, train different parts of your body each, each of those days, maybe lower body and core one day, upper body and back another day. Um, if you're going to full body train, then, um, I do usually recommend putting at least a, a day in between those training sessions because what happens when we when we do resistance training is we actually kind of have little micro tears in the muscle and then as those um, repair themselves that's when the muscle gets stronger so if we're just constantly tearing them they don't ever have the time to recover and, and get stronger. One thing and it, correct me if I'm wrong but one that tip that you gave to kind of maybe introduction to resistance training is to do push-ups but do them against the wall to yeah. where and I've done that and it's funny because I when you first said that I thought oh yeah I can do that that sounds pretty easy <laughs> and then you start doing it it's like gee this is a lot harder than it's I thought harder than I thought it was going to be absolutely you know a push-up is hard to do um, you know for everyone but in, in particular if you have any kind of uh, joint issues in your wrist like I've had you know ganglion in one side and I've had an injury to the other wrist and so my wrists are not the greatest in the world and so trying to push my entire body weight through my wrists with a push-up is very, very uncomfortable for me and not something that I'm going to do. But working the arm muscles and the chest muscles is an important, uh, you know, activity just to keep those strong because you think about all the things that you do in your life that use those muscles. And if we're trying to maintain functional mobility, we have to train those. So an incline push-up, um, which is what we're talking about here, where we stand, you know, eight to nine inches away from the wall, put our hands on the wall, lean into it, and then push away, is a great way to start. And if that seems too easy for you, then back up a couple inches, right? Every, you know, the farther you're feet get from the wall, the more incline you're doing and the more workout you're going to get. And so you may have to start super close. And then as you get stronger, you can back farther and farther away. So when we talk then about soreness, I would imagine that as we get used to doing a particular exercise, hopefully the soreness will diminish over time. Mm -hmm. But what if we do have some soreness, um, Tylenol? What's the best way to remedy yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, really rest is going to be the best way to do that. Um, if you like cool compresses. Those are good in the short term. Um, people often get confused. Should I put heat on something? Should I put ice on something? Um, uh, you have to think about the stage you're in, right? So when you have an, an immediate 
injury or tear, inflammation, right? Um, the, the bulk of that infl- inflammatory process takes place in 24 hours. So ice or coolness is the best in that kind of first 24 hours because it helps to stop any swelling or inflammation that you've got going on. If you're still sore after that, then heat is the best way because it's going to help relax you out a little bit. Um, so absolutely, you could take an over-the-counter, um, you know, Tylenol, Advil, you know, whatever you're able to take, you know, in relationship to any other medical problems you may have. Um, but if we're training that hard that we're that sore, we may need to think about maybe backing down on the frequency or the intensity of that workout. So uh, we want to be safe when we exercise. So let's talk about the importance of warm-up prior to and cooling down afterwards. My, they're actually my favorite parts of the whole thing, um, but they are underutilized. Um, I see people just kind of strike out and start doing whatever it is they're doing. And when they finish, they just kind of plop down. And neither one of those things are are a good strategy. Um, When we don't warm up our muscles appropriately, uh, we're at risk of injury, right? Think about your muscle like a rubber band. And we don't buy or get rubber bands as much as we used to. I remember getting the Sunday paper and pulling that big, thick rubber band off of the, the Sunday paper. And then each little paper in inside had another little rubber band on it, you know, and you could make this rubber band ball with it. But the big one that went around the whole thing was was tight. Like it, it, it was not very stretchable. And that's kind of what our muscle is like when we when we start uh, using it. And if but if you kind of pull on a rubber band a couple times, it gets looser and looser and easier to, to use. And so warming up kind of helps warm up all of those muscles um, so that they're able to to extend to their full range of motion without injury. What I see people do um, as a warm-up is also uh, a little bit concerning because I see people do um, static stretching, and I'll talk a little bit about that as well. There's kind of two types of stretching. There's static and there's dynamic. Static stretching is where you take a part of your body, move it into a certain position, and hold it there. Um, So it's classic on television when you see people warming up for stuff. They grab their elbow and they stretch it across their chest, right? Or they go into a runner's lunge or, you know, any of these different types of things and they hold it there. That's a static stretch. And that is taking a muscle that is cold and taking it to its kind of full range of motion and holding it there, right? Uh, Which is not the best strategy for warming up. Um, if we're going to stretch as part of a warm-up, then we want to do something called dynamic stretching, which is moving the muscle through its range of motion. Um, some classic examples of that would be like a walking lunge um, is, is a type of, of that, or um, just kind of standing in place and kicking your legs up and trying to like kick your hand with your legs. Um, that's a, a type. Marching in place. Um even um, not a full-on jumping jack, but like stepping out and stepping in, stepping out and stepping in um, is a type of, of kind of dynamic stretching there. And that's a much better strategy for a warm-up. But my favorite good old warm-up is just to start with a light-intensity cardiac activity, so a walk. Um, so if I'm going to go to the gym, I usually spend 10 minutes or so on the elliptical, not trying to chase anybody, right? Like I'm on... <laughs> 
I'm on. I cut my. Um, I find me a television show on the elliptical, and I set my timer for ten minutes, and I'm just walking just to get those muscles um, warm and and moving there. And then I may pr- proceed with some dynamic stretches um, after that as well for a couple more minutes. But you don't have to. But those static stretches, the the hold the joint and you know hold it for ten or fifteen seconds. If we want to do those, those are best done at the end as part of the cool down. Okay? So a cool down can absolutely be, again, returning to that lighter intensity walk or, uh, you know, just um, moving around the gym. It can be some of those dynamic stretches, but this can also be the place that you insert some of those more static stretches. Now, something that I see people, again, do a little bit incorrectly with that is bouncing in their static st- stretch. So they'll kind of lunge and then they bounce that muscle up and that is not stretching anything um, and is actually increasing the risk of, it's actually increasing the pressure on that joint. So once you get into the static stretch, hold it for 10 seconds and then go ahead and, and release it, but don't bounce in the stretch. I found that the dynamic stretch seems a little bit more natural. When I do the static stretching, it almost feels like I'm pulling something the wrong way anyway. Yeah. And it, it hurts a little bit to where the dynamic stretch, again, to me seems a little bit more natural. Yeah, it absolutely can. And you can hurt yourself if you try and stretch it, stretch it too far. Got about two minutes left, enough time for you to tell us the importance of hydration. Oh, goodness. Well, hydration is very, very, very important. And it's often, again, an overlooked component of exercise. Um, And it really should start several hours before if we're doing an intense physical activity um, type of, of situation. So maybe you're an athlete and you're going to be you know, having a sporting event. You want to hydrate a couple hours before. You don't want to just down a whole jug of water right before you go because it's going to slishy slosh around in your stomach. You, Everybody knows what that feeling feels like. It's going to make you feel nauseous. You may cramp, all of that kind of thing. So two to three hours before, we want to drink you know, two, two and a half glasses of water. And then 20 to 30 minutes before, we can have another glass of water. And then we want to be taking, you know, fairly healthy sips every 10 minutes or so during the activity. I get asked a lot, when should I use a sports drink? Uh, And that usually, unless you're doing vigorous activity for more than an hour, you probably don't need an electrolyte replacement drink. Um, But if you are, let's say you're playing football, Absolutely, we may need an electrolyte replacement if we're out there for more than an hour. Since I'm not in the studio this morning, Southern Remedy producer Kevin Farrell is with me for this pre-recorded show. Good morning, Josie. We've been talking about exercise this hour and still have time for a couple of more questions. And uh, I will say that when I try to find a new pair of shoes for exercise or for activities that I'm involved in, uh, I must admit that I sometimes go more for the look or the color of the shoe necessarily than, uh, you know, how how well it fits or whatever. But it is important, I guess, when you're on your feet moving around to have a shoe that feels comfortable and, and is proper for what you're trying to do, I guess. Yeah, and they may not be interchangeable, um, you know, depending on what your activity is. Uh, you know, I dance. And while there are very specific shoes for dancing, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and purchase, you know, specific dance shoes. But um, depending on the type of dance you're doing, we may be doing a lot of twisting and things like that. So shoes that have a lot of grip on the bottom are not the best for that because they kind of snag and catch on stuff, which may cause some hip or, or knee issues. So we actually look for a smoother bottom shoe there, which may not be the case at all if you're hiking Right. If that's your particular activity that you want to do, the feature of your shoe is going to have more grip, more tread, maybe higher up for ankle support, that type of thing. Um, Whereas if you're 
you're a runner, depending on what type of running you're doing, whether it's just, you know, kind of casual running or if you're training for something, especially a distance event, you know, a half marathon, something like that, they're going to be specific shoes for, for that. So you may be listening to go, well, I can't have a pair of shoes for every single thing. And you don't have to. Um, you know, the vast majority of people are not going to get into, you know, this these extreme um, sports that they're doing, you know, just kind of targeted things. And just a good basic pair of athletic shoes will be fine, but you want to get some that fit you correctly uh, and that once they start to wear out, you consider being able to to replace them um, because that's when we can see some injuries develop or um, even, you know, callus formation or ingrown toenails, all these different kinds of things. So, you know, a shoe that's in, in pretty good condition that is supportive and comfortable for you is is the most important part of that. And you said, you know, don't necessarily get very specific about this, this shoe for sport A, but sport B, but in general, uh, like for tennis, I would not buy a pair of running shoes. Mm-hmm. I'm looking more for a court shoe. So there are right. some things that kind of maybe think about what the general activity is, and there's different choices within that. Absolutely. So um, any this this might be something you can't answer, but oh goodness, well, lay it on me. <clears throat> how, how do how do you know? <laughs> When the shoe is uncomfortable because it's not fitting properly versus it's a brand new shoe. Because that's always, whenever time yeah. I buy a new pair of shoes, it's like, are these going to hurt me forever or am I going to break, break them in eventually? Well, you know, think about, I ask myself, do I have enough room in the toe box of this shoe? So, you know, the, the toe box, when you think about, think about the widest part of the shoe at the top, um, it should not be pinching your feet, right? It may feel a little snug when you put it on, but it shouldn't cause discomfort there because that's unlikely to get good and good and wallered out there. As well as if your toe is all the way bumped up against the end of it, we probably need a bigger size shoe there because while it may stretch a little bit, you're still too close for any type of impact because when that impact happens, the front of that toe is still going to shove into that shoe. Um, and if it's rubbing blisters on the back, I almost never see those loosen up to where they're not still causing you um, a blister there. You know, if you have access to um, an athletic shoe store, to me, that's the best place to go and get, uh, tell them what type of activity you're doing. Like maybe you say, I'm doing tennis, right? Or I'm going to be running um, and let them uh, pick the right kind of shoe for you and then measure your feet and uh, build the shoe correctly to, to meet your feet there and make sure that it's good and comfortable before you leave. All right, and so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what to wear. And again, you know, I'm I'm very flashy. My my joke in tennis is I wear bright colored shoes and clothes and that sort of thing, so that it distracts from how bad of a tennis player I am. <laughs> but again, maybe comfortable clothing. Any suggestions or ideas for what we need to wear while working out or exercising? Well, I usually have on bright clothes too. Zimba instructors are not known for our subtlety <laughs> in in clothing attire. Um, but you know, it depends on what you're doing, where you're doing it, right? And this and the season that we're in. By and large, we want nice breathable things, right? So we don't want to exercise in wool. Right. Um, We want but you also don't have to have that super expensive dry fit, you know, clothing attire either. You want something that's comfortable that lets you move to your full range of motion um, and that is going to kind of um, not make you feel hotter. Right. So breathable material. Cotton is a great option there. And if you're exercising um, maybe in the cooler months or in the winter months, think about layering things um, so that you can remove them as you get warm, um, but always kind of protecting those those delicate parts, um, especially if you're in a super cold area. You know, it doesn't 
thankfully doesn't get that miserable here in the winter. Um, but if you're somewhere, you know, exercising outside where it's, you know, very, you know, below, below freezing for the majority of the time, then you still have to think about protecting your ears, protecting your fingertips, those types of things as you exercise. But starting out with, um, with layers is a good way to be able to kind of pull those off as you go along. You know, you mentioned wool. I think back in the day, baseball players' uniforms were made uh-huh. out of wool. And could you imagine that? You know, you're working out, sweating and all that, and you've got that heavy wool oh on my there, god totally. and you know that just had to just itch and smell poor guy <laughs> poor guys we feel sorry for babe ruth and his cohorts exactly uh socks is that important to have a padded sock maybe yeah so uh you know a cotton sock would be what i would recommend that because it's gonna again breathe um you know nylon socks those kinds of things are going to hold moisture in and so you're much more likely to develop a bruise or to get athlete's foot and those types of things. Um, in general, um, a white cotton sock tends to, to do better, just that way you don't have any allergies to any of the dyes or anything that are in those shoes, uh, in those um, socks. And then, of course, it depends on what activity um, you're doing. You know, yoga, you don't you don't wear shoes or socks for those types of things. There are some yoga socks, but not a lot of, uh, of folks use those there. But a good sock that protects your foot and it's comfortable, again, is the, the key there. And I will say, if you can find some that are affordable, I do like the the dry fit clothing because that really mm-hmm. does seem to soak, uh, pulls the sweat away from you, and you don't feel quite so clammy when you when you're really exercising hard. So. Yeah. Well, the worst is like after you exercise and before you get home, and the sweat starts to dry, and then you start to freeze. Or at least I do. I'm like, oh gosh, this is so miserable. The dry fit does help with that. If and if you can afford uh, afford those and you find them, I I look on the sale racks um, at most of the sports stores, and they may not be the cutest ones that are left, but they get the job done. And even the big box stores I've seen have mm-hmm. now started carrying some of that stuff. Although, again, I must admit I'm a fashion to brand, so I will probably go more to splurge to get the name brand stuff. <laughs> but again, that's just me and my weirdness there. So, uh, all right, got a couple minutes left in this final segment. We've talked a lot about sort of geared towards people maybe just beginning to exercise, but that's not all of our listeners. We exactly. know that. So for people who are experienced exercisers, maybe looking to take it to the next level or to kind of bump up their fitness level, what are some suggestions? Well, I think Again, we always start with where are you in your fitness journey, right? Because I see a lot of folks that would consider themselves very physically active, but it may be in all in one particular area, right? So they may be meeting or exceeding those cardio minutes, um, but doing very little um, weight training or resistance training. Um, And so I would encourage those folks to build in the resistance piece, because I think what you'll wind up seeing is that your cardio is actually better um, as you start to build some more of that lean muscle in. The same as if you're just a a lifter, right? Think about how we can incorporate some cardio into that as well so that you're meeting all of the the different um, types of, of activity. If you're already doing those things, right? My biggest tip is just to not be afraid to try something new. Uh, you know, I was very afraid to try yoga. Like I had built it up in my head to be just super scary and had been putting it off. And it's actually one of my favorite things to do now. So think about getting kind of outside of your comfort zone in whatever particular activity you're doing and trying something different. Maybe if you're a runner, maybe you do go try tennis with someone and give yourself permission to be bad at something when you start it. I have I have a real real problem with that. I'm working on it. If I'm not good at something like right off the bat, I'm like, well, I'm just not going to do this anymore. Um, but I think you probably miss out on a bunch of stuff that you actually would enjoy um, learning how to do and growing and getting better at. 
And then also, if you enjoy running or walking and maybe you do 10Ks or something along those lines, maybe begin to train for a half marathon or something mm-hmm. or bump up the level of whatever exercise that you do that you enjoy. Absolutely. All right. A little, just a couple minutes left. Finally, um, I think, and I might have told this story on the air once, but um, my mother, when I was in high school, friend was our backdoor neighbor, and uh, both of them started walking together. And I know later, uh, my we uh, the, the son and I had went to high school together, but later on, he told me that his mother always appreciated the fact that my mom was there to walk with mm-hmm. him. So I think having a buddy for exercise is super important and is great to keep you going. It absolutely can be. It can be great for accountability. Um, you know, if you set a date to work out with someone, you're much more likely to show up because you don't want to let them down. So it's a great way to build in socialization and get active. That'll wrap us up for today. Thanks for listening to the show this morning. For Josie Bidwell, I'm Kevin Farrell. You can email the show anytime with your questions. It's fit at mpbonline.org. And tune in Monday mornings at 11 for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.